0: And welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor FM and also on Spotify, Google Podcasting, as well as Apple Podcasting and others, including Overcast. Uh, Whatever platform you're listening on, we're glad to have you listening The Sunshine USA. Uh, I call it a very unique program of uh, Bible study and uh, time out for God to think about God and how we could grow stronger together as Christians in the Word of God. Uh, Many of you know that we're now in the book of James, the letter of James, written by James, and I believe it was James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, the reason that's uh, a somewhat significant point to make (laughs) is the fact that in the New Testament, we have four or five guys by the name of James. James. Now, we know according from the reading of the book of James, especially the very beginning of the first chapter of James, we know that James wrote James, right? (laughs) Amen. But then the question comes, well, which James wrote James? Uh, Which of these four or five Jameses wrote James? And I believe it was James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, When you read, for example, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and you read the book of James, you'll see a lot of similarities between what Jesus says and how he says it, and what James says and how he says it. And so in a nutshell, that is why I choose to believe that James wrote the book of James, and uh, you may have a different opinion. And I'm not going to argue with you (laughs) about it because I'm not dogmatic about it. If I get, when I get to heaven, if I find out that someone other than the brother of Jesus, the half brother of Jesus wrote James, then, you know, hey, that's all right with me. You know, it's not a fundamental issue. (laughs) It's not like, uh, blood atonement or the virgin birth or something like that. But I do believe it was James, the half brother of Jesus that wrote James. Now, um... As we begin this broadcast, we begin with James chapter 4. Now bearing in mind, of course, there's only five chapters in James. So what my broad plan is, is that on the broadcast today, I'm going to be doing James chapter 4. And then on the next broadcast, we will get into James chapter 5. Now it will take us at least one maybe two sessions, on the uh, podcasting platform in order to um, cover the fifth chapter of of James. Uh, James, the fifth chapter, is basically a pretty well-loaded chapter, and uh, so it may take us a little bit longer to get through chapter five than chapter four. Now, as we begin chapter four... And I want to make a note of the fact that I am reading from uh, the King James Version. And uh, I'm reading from the old Schofield King James Version, which means I have access to the Schofield study notes. (laughs) Okay, now, I want you to uh, turn to James chapter 4, verse 1. And it's on page 1309, if you have an old Schofield, King James Version Bible. That's one of the things I like about Schofield. Um, Every Bible has the same page numbers. (laughs) And that means that James chapter 4 is on page 1309. And that makes it easier for group Bible study. Amen. (laughs) And the overall topic that James is going to be dealing with here in chapter 4 is the rebuke of wilderness. The rebuke of worldliness. Um, Worldliness is not something we should be pursuing as Christians. You know, the world... And the ways of the world, they are in contrast to the ways of God. So you have to ask yourself, do I want to do things God's ways, or do I want to do things according to the ways of the world? You can't do both. Amen. <laughs> okay, now, first we see in James chapter 4, verse 1, from which come wars and fightings among you. In other words, uh, James is realizing that his Jewish brothers are basically in conflict with each other. They're not unified in their beliefs. They're not unified in their doctrine. They're not unified in the ways that they do things. And this is very sad when James hears about this. He says... uh Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members. It says, uh, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not. Because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Now, here uh, James is talking a lot about the subject of prayer. He says, well, (laughs) uh, when it comes to the subject of prayer, you have not because you ask not. And he says, you ask not because you're asking with the wrong attitude. Now, you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with worldliness? Well, it's because of their worldly desires and their desire for worldly things. And they're allowing that to make up their list of things they're asking God for. But now, God's ways and the world's ways are different, totally. (laughs) You can have things done God's ways, or you could do it the way of the world, but you cannot have both. And so basically, James here is saying, because of your own lust, you have not because you ask not. In other words, you're not asking in the right spirit. You're not asking in the right attitude. Now, let's say, for example, you decide to get up one morning and you have a prayer request that goes something like this. Okay, Lord, I want a million dollars. (laughs) I want a million dollars, and I want it now, because God, I've got plans for that million dollars, and boy, you got plans for that million dollars. You want to go to the store and go on a shopping spree, and you don't want to go to just any old store. You want to go to the most expensive stores in the country, or maybe even the most expensive stores in the world, and you want to shop there and get all kinds of stuff there. But ask yourself this question, is this stuff that you just want? Or is this stuff that you actually need? Well, you might be thinking, well, Lord, uh, <laughs> I, I sure would love to have one of the nicest cars in America. I would love to have a seventy or $80,000 car or maybe a $200,000 car. But is that something you actually need or would something cheaper even used do just as good? You know, a lot of times we don't get what we're asking for because we don't realize how much greed and self-centeredness is behind what we're asking for. In other words, we don't realize how much worldliness has affected our prayer life. But now, on the other hand, let's say you're a million, uh, you're a uh Let's say you're a businessman and you ask the Lord for a million dollars. And you say, Lord, I need a million dollars so I can expand my business. Now, of course, Lord, if I'm able to expand my business, I'm able to create good paying jobs for all kinds of people. I'm willing to give a great portion of what I make, Lord, to you and to the cause of the poor. So, Lord, I really would like to have a million dollars, if it be thy will. Now, which person, and I've described two different people here, which of these two people is more likely to have their um, prayer requests answered? And, of course, it would be the businessman, the business owner, because he's wanting what he's asking for, Not for his own benefit only, but for the benefit of people that need jobs. And of course, he's going to be funding the Lord's work and different causes for the poor out of that. And so a lot of people besides just him would benefit from that. Plus, of course, he's saying, Lord, if it be thy will. Now, the other guy, he's just praying for a million dollars so he could go out and party and have a good time. And he's not even saying, Lord, if it be thy will. He said, Lord, this is what I definitely want. I want it, and I want it now. So do you see why God would be more likely to answer the prayer request of the businessman and not the other man? Because the businessman, who happens to be a dedicated Christian, is praying with the right attitude. Now, the other guy might be a Christian, too, but he's allowed worldliness to creep into his life. He, he wants something just because of the fact that the world says he ought to have it. Now, you take video games. I have never been a big fan of video games. I, I think I have played video games a couple of times in my life, and that's about it. And I really didn't know what I was doing even then. But, I mean, if I died today and never played another video game, it it wouldn't make any difference to me. But now there are some of you out there, you not only want to play video games all the remaining days of your life, you want to play all the latest ones. Now, by the way, I will also say that I think video games are behind a lot of the violence that we're seeing in America today. And if you're listening in countries in Africa and South America and Asia and other parts of the world, that may be true in your country as well, that these violent video games where you actually score points for killing innocent people. I heard about one video game called... uh, um, Theft Auto Grand Theft, or something like that. Theft Grand Auto, or Auto Grand Theft, or something. Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> I don't even know the title of it. <laughs> but I know it's a video, or it's a video game, that glorifies killing the cops. And I'm sure video games like that have a great effect on young people across America. They get the feeling... You know, I'm not going to just do this on a video game. Hey, if I could do it on a video game, it must be all right in real life. And hey, this is what I'm going to go out and do. I think we can't really bring crime and violence under control in this country without bringing under control this thing called video games. I think they are potentially a great danger. And and even if we're talking about nonviolent video games, I think if you're a parent, you were very unwise not to limit the amount of time each day or even each week that you allow your young people to spend on video games. They ought to be outside playing and getting exercise. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've gone a good part of my life without necessarily getting a lot of the exercise that I need. And in terms of health, I'm paying a price for that now. And so you should try to see to it that your kids spend as much time playing outside as to do on video games. You should also make sure they have time to do their homework. Video games is something they do if they have time for it. Amen. <laughs> now, I tell you, the kind of preaching I'm doing right now, this is the kind of preaching, as they say where the rubber meets the road now the other thing that we need to keep in mind when we pray we need to realize that ultimately god is the source of our supply when we ask god for something we ask him because we know without a doubt he has the ability to grant the request that we're making lord i need i need a million dollars Now, if you need a million dollars and you're going to do something with it that glorifies God, that's great. But then you have to recognize that God has the ability to give you that million dollars. Now, I remember when I was a little boy, sometimes I would go to my mom and dad and I would ask them for money. Now, usually it was not big sums of money, not humongous sums of money, because I knew they didn't have it. For example, I knew it would have been a waste of time to ask my dad for $100 because he rarely had $100 that he could spare. But here's the thing. Let's say I said, Dad, I need a couple of dollars. So if our youth group goes out tonight and gets a Coca-Cola somewhere, I can get me a Coca-Cola with them. Well, he would probably give me a couple of dollars if he thought that was important. And if he had it, which he usually did, he usually had that much anyway. So when I asked my dad for a couple of dollars, I asked him for a couple of dollars because I knew he could give it to me if he had it. Amen. And so how we ask God for what we ask him for reflects whether or not we have faith in God when we ask him for what we ask him. Okay, now... Let's uh, read on. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is is enmity with God? Whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So this is James getting to the very heart of what James chapter 4 is all about. It's all about not being worldly, having a greater desire to do the work of God and the will of God than to follow along with the ways of the world. In fact, when Christians choose to be worldly, James equates that with worldliness, worldliness, and he equates it with committing adultery, being unfaithful to God. He says, look, you could either be a friend of the world or you could be a friend of God, but not both. (laughs) Now, that being the case, I would far rather be a friend of God than to be a friend of the world. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the world doesn't have anything I want. God has everything I want and then some. Amen. And so, you know, That's one of the big things we have to decide as Christians even today. Do I want to be like the ways of the world? Or do I choose to be like God? And that's a very big thing. Uh, Now, I'm going to hit the highlights here of chapter 4. I'm not going to hit every single verse. But I'm going to hit those verses that I think bring out the most important stuff in chapter 4. Now, in verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10 in James, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, you know, one of the things about us as Christians, we have a love affair (laughs) with tooting our own horn. And a lot of times we adopt a phrase of the world and say something like, well, if I don't toot my own horn, no one else is going to toot it for me. (laughs) But you see here, James is saying, if you humble yourself, if you grab a hold of humility, then you know what God is going to do? God will lift you up. You won't have to blow your own horn because, you see, it is God who will lift you up. And if God is going to lift me up, then guess what? The good news is I don't even have to blow my own horn. Amen? Amen. Now, I want us to think for a moment about the fact that When we don't care who gets the credit, it means there's no limit to what God could do. In fact, Jerry Clower, who was uh, a very famous uh, country comedian in this country once upon a time. He's dead now, of course. But Jerry Clower in his day was a well-known country comedian. And one of his famous lines was something like this. There's no limit to what can get done if it doesn't matter who gets the credit. (laughs) But you'll notice when something good happens, and I've noticed that this happens in politics a lot. (laughs) And I know it happens in politics a lot in this country, and I'm sure it happens in politics a lot in your country as well. But one of the things I find in the political world is that politicians are always wanting to find a way to take credit for anything and everything good that happens. And if something bad happens, they always want to blame it on the opposition. You know? (laughs) You know, uh, here in this country, for example, the Democrats would say, well, you know Obama handed Trump a really great economy. And now Trump has trashed it. (laughs) And Trump would say, well, I did a great job building up a great economy until the COVID-19 virus came along. And of course, nobody saw that coming. (laughs) But you know, everybody wants to take credit for what somebody else did. That's the way politics works. That's the way politicians work, you know? But here James is saying what you need to do as a Christian, you need to humble yourself. And when you choose to humble yourself, guess what? God is going to step in. And he will lift you up. Uh, Right now I'm thinking about this guy, Les Feldick. A great television Bible study teacher. Uh, He still comes on television even though I don't think he's producing any more shows. But during his ministry he basically taught all the way through the Bible and he's one of only two ministers of the gospel that I've known to do that. But one of the things neat about Les Feldick is he has a very low-key approach to ministry. For example, he and his wife, and I think uh, some of his children and children-in-law, <laughs> they they pretty much run the ministry. There's no paid staff, and uh, if your phone call gets answered, if your letter gets answered, it's going to be because Mr. and Ms. Feldick, or one of the family members, answers it. You know, it's a very low-key approach. To ministry. He's not trying to toot his own horn. He gets on television and he hardly ever mentions the need for money, but of course you know the financial need is there because anybody who knows enough about buying airtime on television and radio stations, you know there's nothing cheap about that. It costs money and lots of it. Amen. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. We need to understand that God has lifted up Les felding and given him basically a great following in this country. In fact if you get on YouTube and Facebook and you look under Les felding I mean you'll see he has a great following all across the nation and even in other countries around the world. And it's because he chose not to toot his own horn or blow his own trumpet, but rather he chose to humble himself and in turn that allowed God to lift up his ministry. I mean I think about Billy Graham. Of course Billy Graham's in heaven today but back in 1949 uh, Billy Graham was just a humble everyday tent preacher, (laughs) tent revival preacher like many other preachers of his day. uh, He uh, had a tent and a trailer and he pulled that tent and trailer all across America, and he held tent revivals all over the country. And One time he came to Los Angeles, California. This was back in 1949. Just a humble evan- evangelist, not doing anything to toot his own horn, and guess what? God chose at that point to lift him up on a national and even a worldwide scale. And so... The 1949 Billy Graham crusade was actually the starting point of Billy Graham becoming a national and internationally known evangelist. God chose to lift up Billy Graham because Billy Graham refused to lift up himself. And that of course is a lesson for you and I as Christians today. We are to lift up God. We are to lift up the name of Jesus and not to lift ourselves up. Okay, now let's read on. It says, speak not evil of one another. Um, Brethren. Now, in other words, when he uses that term brethren, he's letting it be known here. He's talking to people that are supposed to be Christians. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's not talking to pagan people. He's talking to people that are supposed to be Christians. And he says that we are not to speak evil of one another. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law. You see... (laughs) we as Christians have to get out of the judging game. And one of the reasons we as Christians have to get out of the judging game is because of the fact we don't know all the facts. We don't know all the facts. And therefore, we should be very reluctant to judge someone else. I remember hearing about a lady one time that left her husband. And the pastor found out about it. And the pastor was furious. And he calls up that lady on the telephone. He says, lady, you need to get back to your husband. You need to go back home. Go back home to your husband. Because if you don't, you're going to be committing serious sin against God. Well, you see, there was a lot that the pastor didn't know. The pastor didn't know that the last time she was with her husband, he practically killed her. And in fact, she ended up in the hospital. She was beaten to a pulp by her former husband many, many times. And for the pastor to have the audacity to tell her that she has to go back to the man that practically killed her, That simply illustrated the pastor didn't have all his facts straight. He was passing judgment without knowing what he was talking about. But you see, this old woman, she didn't want to sin against God, and she certainly didn't want to go to hell. So you know what? She said, well, I guess that's God telling me I need to go back to her husband. So she goes back to him, and within 48 hours... She is deader than a doornail. And it's all the pastor's fault. And it's because he spoke not knowing what he was talking about. We as Christians need to refrain from judging others in those cases where we don't have all the facts. And a lot of times, even if you do think you have all the facts, you later find out you really don't know everything. And, you know, I kind of like it that way. I like the fact that I don't have to make judgments on people. I don't have to decide whether or not someone's going to heaven or hell. And the reason I don't have to decide that, because that's God's jurisdiction. My job is to love others and to faithfully, patiently teach them the word of God. You see, that's my job as a minister of the gospel. That's my job as a teacher of the Bible. Amen. I don't have a job other than that. Amen. Now we get to verse 12. It says there shall be one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow I will go into such a city and continue there for a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, We shall live and do this or that. Now, James has a very powerful statement to make here. (laughs) One of the things he's pointing out is the fact that as Christians, we need to let God direct our paths. We We need to let God set our schedule. Like he points out, a man might say, you know, I'm going to go here. I'm going to stay there for a year. I'm going to buy and sell. I'm going to make investments. I'm going to flip property. I'm going to make millions. And then I'm going to go on to the next city. But you see, James here knows, just as Jesus knows, you and I are not capable of knowing what a day might bring forth. And we may not know this year what God wants us to do next year. And that's why James says, when we make out our schedule, we should say, okay, now, Lord willing, Lord willing, this is where I'm going. Lord willing, this is what I'm going to do. Because ultimately, it is God who should have the final say, not us. (laughs) And, And, you know, in so many ways, that's actually more true this year than it's been in a long time. Amen. Because you see, the fact of the matter is this year, a lot of evangelists who had revival meetings booked, those revival meetings got canceled, especially in the time period mid-March through the month of June. A lot of those revival meetings got canceled. Now, some churches have started resuming revival schedules, but not at the pace they once did. Now this time last year, there's no way you and I could have known that. Uh, I know some churches that had mission trips planned for overseas that have had to be canceled because of the because of the coronavirus. Because of COVID-19, they've had to cancel mission trips, especially mission trips going overseas. Even home missionary trips in this country have had to be done a different way because of the fact that the COVID-19 virus has hit. We don't always know what's going to happen. (laughs) I look back to this past New Year's. This past January, we had a lot of pastors bringing new year's messages and yet nobody had an inkling of what was ahead for us this year (laughs) i heard one preacher say uh, he was on the radio preaching the other day and he said you know what he said this year on on the night of december 31st when my church has a watch night service you know what we're going to pray the old year out and the new year in But we're especially going to pray the old year out. We want to make sure 2020 leaves forever, (laughs) considering all that it's done to us this year. Amen. It's been a hard year. I mean, in a couple of weeks, I turned 66 years old, and guess what? (laughs) I could tell you in many ways, this year has been so different than any other year that I've ever lived. I've seen things happen this year that I never thought would happen. I've seen pastors, for example, handcuffed and put in jail for no other reason than the fact that they chose to hold a church service. I heard about this one couple. They were arrested for hosting a Bible study group in their home, in the privacy of their home. Up until this year, I never heard of that happening in this country. And yet it has happened all over the place this year. And I think, unfortunately, that this is just a sign of ever increasing persecution that's ahead of us in the future. I think as we go forward into the future, here in this country and around the world, we're going to be facing more and more persecution there are countries around the world now where if you talk about Jesus, if you preach the gospel, if you go to church publicly, they're going to put handcuffs on you and they're going to throw you in the prison. And then they're going to take out some whips and beat you to a pulp. All because you dare call yourself a Christian. I heard one time about this... Uh, Young woman. I don't even know what country she was in. This evil man was holding a gun to her head. And he said, I'm going to blow your head off if you don't deny Jesus right now. All that lady could do was just praise the Lord. And sure enough, the man blew her head off. How many of us would have had that kind of faith? How many of us would have had that kind of determination? A lot of us would have said, well, I would have said anything just to keep from being killed so I could spend the rest of my life talking about Jesus. But here was a woman that was not afraid to die because she was unwilling to deny her faith in God. And I believe Her name's going to be bragged about all over the place in heaven. You know, people talk all the time, who's going to be the greatest person in heaven? I'm telling you, it's probably going to be somebody that you and I never heard of. Seriously, it's probably going to be somebody that you and I have never heard of. Yet they were doing the will of God. Well, let's take a look toward the ending of chapter 4, here in the book of James. And he says in verses 16 and 17, But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, that's a very famous quotation there. It says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, if you know what God wants you to do and you refuse to do it, guess what? James says, hey, that's a sin. It's just as much a sin as if you go out here and commit adultery or or, or rob a bank or kill somebody. So one of the greatest things you can know as a Christian is the will of God. And one of the greatest things that you, you could ever do is the will of God. And that's what James is teaching us here in James chapter 4. And that officially brings us to the end of James chapter 4. Now, another thing that I want to point out is that James here tells us that we are to put great stock in doing what God wants us to do. And like I say, if we know what God wants us to do and we do it not, (laughs) then we fail to do what God wants us to do, and that is a sin. Okay. Well, like I say, that brings us to the end of James chapter 4. In the next broadcast, we will come to James chapter 5. And like I say, I'm thinking it will probably take us two broadcasts to broadcast the cover chapter 5, because there's really a lot of material there. And some of that material I'm going to be emphasizing especially much. And so therefore, I'm thinking it may very well take us a couple of broadcasts to get through James chapter number 5. Now, what I want to do is to let you know that I would like very much for you to continue praying for me. I continue having some health issues. I continue having some problems with my health. And um, right now, one of my latest problems is a lot of very severe neck pain. But I also know that Jesus is in the healing business. And I know that many of you are praying people. And you will pray for me. That the Lord will take this pain away. Because I tell you, it really does hurt. And it hurts bad. Uh, I didn't get much sleep last night because of the pain. And so I hope that you'll pray for me. And I hope also that you will help me to do what needs to be done as far as the Lord's will is concerned. I definitely feel like the Lord wants us to expand this ministry. And of course, I know that it's going to take money to get it, to get it done. (laughs) And that's why I hope that those of you can, you will share toward the financial need of this ministry. Now, at the end of the program today, you will have an opportunity to financially make a contribution to this program by just simply clicking a lever and that will automatically give you an opportunity to make a direct contribution into this particular ministry called Sunshine USA. Now you can also send me a contribution in the snail mail. My snail mail address is Warren Landis 3001 Old Buncombe Road apartment number 8 Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. That's Warren Landis, 3001 Old Buckham Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. And before you seal the envelope, you might want to maybe put a few dollar bills in there to help us out a little bit. And I want you to know that this is a very... um. Low, strong ministry. Uh, We don't have a fancy paid staff doing everything. Um, Everything that gets done, I pretty much do it. I'm it. I'm the staff. (laughs) If you have a prayer request, I pray over it. If you have a Bible study question, I'll do my best to answer it. And we're a very down-to-earth, simple-type ministry. Amen. (laughs) I guess I take a lot of my notes there from Les Felder. You know, I try to have a very simple home-based ministry, which is what Sunshine USA is all about. Now, um, if you want to send me an email and email me a Bible study question or a prayer request, you could do so at warrenlandis at yahoo.com or warrenlandis at gmail.com. Either way, I'll get it, and I'll be glad to pray over any prayer requests that you have, and I will be glad to... Um, answer your Bible study questions, and if you like, I'll even share it on the next program or one of the next programs coming up, because if it's a question that's important to you, it's probably a question that's important to somebody else as well. Well, I uh, want you to know that I appreciate you very much. I love each and every one of you. I want only the finest things for each of you, and and I want you to know, even if you can't give money to this ministry, that's okay. I want to love you just as much and minister to you just as much as if you gave a million dollars to this ministry, because to me, God is not a respecter of persons, and neither am I. You know, so like I say, whether you're a millionaire and can give a million dollars to this ministry, or whether you're a poor man and you can't give anything to this ministry, that's okay. Just know that I love you, and that I care about you, and I know that you love and care about me as well, and uh, we'll keep each other in prayer. Until then, until next time, this is Warren Landis, your Bible teacher on Sunshine USA. Saying goodbye, God bless you, and I'll see you again next time on Sunshine USA. God bless.